We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm your host, Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how we doing? Nick, Joe Harris is tanned. I repeat, <laughs> Joe Harris is tanned. Tan, new haircut, new headband, you know, different different team out there. And obviously, you know, Joe provided some type of impact. The Nets got the W today, 124-119 over the Spurs in their second scrimmage in Orlando. And, you know, it was a really positive performance compared to what we saw against the Pelicans. But before we get into it, quick reminder, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, OTGBasketball.com, NetsRepublic.com, and Blue Wire Pods. And this episode is presented by BetOnline.ag and Deal Dash. But, Jack... Tell us about those last couple minutes of the game, because I know due to the broadcasting issues, most of the Nets fans didn't get to see the last three to four minutes. Yeah, uh, thankfully, I am living in Melbourne, Australia right now. Now, even though I did have to wake up at 16 to watch the game, I did pay off to see the Nets win. Yeah, the last couple of minutes, Nick, there was it was quite close, and, and I know a lot of people were feeling a bit shaky like the, the, the Nets of old, but... You know, they held on, and I think a lot of that was due to Tyler Johnson. Rodion Scroots made some plays. Uh, Musa had, had a couple of nice steals as well. You know, I, I thought that you know Tyler Johnson was probably the key catalyst for that. If we, if you had had Martin out there or just Musa by himself, I think the Nets lose it. 
And I think Kuruts also, you know, hitting some three balls. I think uh, Lance Thomas as well provided some nice sort of uh, a steadying force as well. So they were able to close it out, you know, draw some ticky-tack fouls that the Spurs, obviously, with some of their young guys out there as well, you know, obviously not the most seasoned performers. They didn't have their best, as the Nets didn't either. You know, it was the backups finishing off each game. So the Nets were able to close it out in a, in a pretty confident fashion, which was nice to see. Just, I think, a lot of fouls that probably shouldn't have been given away by more seasoned NBA players. But also the Nets just... Uh, executing on both ends of the floor and hitting those free throws. Yeah, based off of what we saw in the play-by-play, it looked like Tyler Johnson hit a couple big threes. And, you know, even just earlier in this game, he just looked a little bit more spry than probably last time we saw him in the NBA. He was sensational, Nick. He, those threes were super important. Hit another mid-ranger as well. Uh, the Nets, in the last performance that we recapped, were in dire need of someone who could create their own shot. And Johnson steps in and goes bang, 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 bang. He was... He was super. He was really super. Love the curls as well. Curls get the girls, as they <laughs> say. Look good with the headband. Loving all the headbands of the Brooklyn Nets team. I thought he did a lot of good things, especially in the offensive end. And his energy on the other end of the floor, I thought was quite good too. Yeah, it's not like he was bad defensively. It's not like he stuck out and you're like, oh God, this guy's getting beat every possession. You know, he was solid over there too. And like you said, offensively, giving you kind of that secondary creator, especially when things go bad. You saw the Nets kind of throwing the ball a couple times at the end of the shot clock. He was able to either, you know, make a quick drive, hit a mid-range pull-up, or use that pick and roll and try to find, you know, open three or drive to the rim. So I was pretty happy with Tyler Johnson's performance, especially like we talked about, him not playing basketball in a very long time. Yeah, 18 minutes, 17 points, couple of boards, 7-11 from the field, 3 of 5 from 3. Uh, it was it was a really, really positive performance from him. And obviously, it'll be interesting to see when Jamal Crawford comes back in the next game, him and Dante Hall were essentially the only guys that were able to suit up just due to uh, con- probably conditioning issues and, and such. Uh, but I thought that Tyler Johnson really made an impact. And, you know, I put it out there uh, off a few of his highlight plays that, you know, he's certainly proving his worth. And I think that he, based off this performance, I mean, obviously, incredibly small sample size of 18 minutes of play, he could certainly be a rotation piece, backup rotation piece for the Nets next year, especially if there are some injuries to some of the guards. Because Tyler Johnson just is that, as we were sort of previewing him on the signing, he did a lot of the things that I know that some people were probably a bit more low on. But when I was doing the video replays and, and, and the video breakdowns, I'm like, oh, he can do a couple of things. If he's hitting that three ball, he's going to be dangerous. And when he hit three or five, then it's 60% from the, from the arc. He looked confident from there. He looked comfortable from there. It, it seemed like... He acclimated himself to his new team incredibly quickly. Yeah, and I think maybe some of it has to do with the Nets being that team that had confidence in him. And he looked more similar to the player we saw in Miami. Like you said, extremely small sample size. This still was a scrimmage, and it was against a lot of backups to the Spurs who are missing a couple players as well. But, Jack, who else stuck out to you in this scrimmage? I know that you were a little bit lower on his performance, Nick, but I really loved the performance of Rodion Skouritz. You know, 17 points, four boards, a couple of dimes, got a steal as well. 71, uh, over 71% from the field, also hit three free throws and four of six from three. That is uh, probably the big number that a lot of us have wanted. And we sort of spoke about when we were talking about small ball nets, can the spacing be a real weapon? And I think Kuritz really did provide us that. He looked confident. He looked, um, despite the fact that, you know, he's obviously not a five and it's only his second game in his career playing some extended minutes at the probably the most important position on the defensive end of the floor. I thought he did some nice things there. Yes, his verticality was a little bit off at times. Yes, the the rotations and probably some of his communication wasn't necessarily perfect, but I thought he made a real impact. And, you know, I, 
I, I said that you know there was little little moments that we saw from the last game. I really like that drive and, and bounce past to Jared Allen from the last game. This game, he did it again. You know, on the drive and he dishes off to Justin Anderson, who had great hands and finished with the layup. You know, I think Rodon's just starting to get really confident, and I think that the extended minutes for him are really doing him the world of good. You know, I think that if he can play this sort of stretch five position. You know, in spurts, it's going to show even more versatility for him and his individual career going forward. And the potential of playing next to a guy like KD who can kind of swap those positions with you too, you yep. know, being another switchable big. So, I mean, offensively, you really like what you saw from Rodion's. Like you mentioned, I think you got the number switched up. He was three at three from three. So, like, he didn't miss a three, four or six from the line and 17 points. And I liked a lot of the drives we saw from him. You know, even the ones that weren't successful, there was one where he just looks like a little bit off on the touch. But that's the type of you type of stuff you want to see from him because he can do that when he's playing the four too. It doesn't necessarily have to be the five because a lot of times he still either has a mismatch or he's given enough space where he can make a play. And like you mentioned, defensively, still a couple hiccups. But for a guy learning center on the fly, I thought he did a solid job. And obviously, you know, you, uh, Eubanks isn't necessarily the best backup center you're going to go against. So I think it was a good experience for him to kind of gain more confidence moving forward. And like... I think he has an idea of verticality. It's just kind of getting it completely figured out, you know, fine tuning it and getting straight, having those shoulders straight up with the player instead of like turning or twisting your body and having those hands straight up. But he's coming along and I think this could be real progress for, you know, his development. Obviously, again, only a scrimmage, but still you like what we see. Yeah, absolutely. I think Alan can certainly give him a few tips because his verticality is always, you know, at, at such a short span of his career, it's always generally been perfect. He's never really giving away fouls there. So a few little tidbits uh, from the Afro man will, will certainly help. There was a, a big play, I think, that was probably not seen by a lot of fans where uh, in the in the latter points of the game, Rodions gets the board and he just pushes the pace, gets out of transition and just drives on the Spurs and he finishes with the left. And I think he got a, a, an and one play, even if he didn't. I know he did make that play and it was just confident, strong, purposeful. One of the, the best plays of the day from him. One of the best plays from the Nets. I thought he was um, incredibly confident and poised play. And as you sort of mentioned, Nick, he is gaining that confidence and that poise. And I think that that's one thing we didn't see in greater spectrum in this season, in, in certain games that we've you know been able to recap and rewatch during you know, the, the ISO time and quarantine time, you know, the, the Miami Heat game sort of sticks out. But, you know, we're seeing a different version of Kuwaitz now where he's putting a lot of these different skill sets together, be it his own individual play, the three ball, the passing. You know, obviously, we've never seen him play the five before, so that's going to be a work in progress. But uh, I'm, I'm really sort of uh, excited to see how this goes going forward. Yeah, it just feels like the confidence, the composure, like he just feels like a different guy because, you know, during the 1920 season, what we saw early on was a lot of travels, a lot of turnovers, violations, whatever it was, just kind of all over the place with decision making. We're like, yeah, he's still making some mistakes, but it's like more about him just not, you know, finishing the play or executing properly. He's making the right decision. It just might not go down the way he wants it to go down. So if I'm the Nets, I'm pretty happy about what's going on with him. Do you think Jock Vaughn is having any of an impact on him? And, or do you think it's more so the situation being like one of the better players, I guess, on the team or one of the more talented players? Um, I, I mean, obviously, the coach is giving him some confidence and probably providing with clear communication. We sort of spoke about on previous episodes. You know, the communication style of Jacques Vaughn seems to be somewhat different to, to Kenny. It seems to be quite clear and concise, at least from what we can gather from as outside observers. I think that that probably is having some sort of an effect. And I think it's actually having an effect on the team overall, if I do say yeah. uh, my, so myself, Nick, because it seems to me that guys are sort of playing a bit more instinctual basketball because 
because we've seen a lot of these mid-range jumpers that we probably would have seen guys taken off the floor if we had Kenny Atkinson out there. So it's certainly, I think uh, Jacques Vaughn is having an impact um, and I think it is a positive impact at this stage because he wants a head coaching spot and I think he's letting guys you know, play their own games. Obviously in these scrimmages, you want to let guys get their reps. You want to get the conditioning up. And you want to just let them you know, shoot the rust out, uh, so to speak. So I think he's having an impact on on all the guys on the roster, to be fair. Yeah, and I think it's just kind of letting them play loose, like you said. You know, Especially in a scrimmage, you can want guys to maybe test out new things that they're working on their game that maybe that's not ready for the regular season or you're not sure it is. But just one final note on Rodion's is I think like if he just continues to fine-tune his skills offensively, he's going to be a nice contributor for a team either on the Nets or in the future because of just like that burst and length he has. I mean, if he can improve those handles a touch, I think he'd be pretty nice at attacking the paint. Yeah, I think that that's a really good sort of point. Um, there's a, a lot of different things that I think the the impact that, that uh, he is having on this team. But Nick, who else sort of in the game, in the uh, performance that you saw, who stuck out for you, obviously, uh, probably your boy, Karis LeVert, Cormoreau Karis? Yeah, Karis definitely balled out. I mean, 23 minutes, 27 points, 8 of 17 from the field, got to the line nine times. So I just felt like uh, Karis's impact was felt early. You know, he was aggressive, got that steal and layup early on in the game, and it kind of set the momentum for the team. And I felt like this game was more of what we expected, you know, of Karis going into Orlando and also more of like that leadership aspect where he was running the show and setting things up a little bit too. So I thought Karis really stepped up on both sides of the floor in this game. I thought he, you know, if let's go through that sort of stat line, I guess, Nick, 27 points in only 23 and a half minutes, two rebounds, three assists, three steals again, eight of 17 from the field, three of nine from three, was able to hit that free throw line, uh, was really aggressive there, eight of nine from there, plus 13. You know, the net starters outside, probably TLC, were just super duper impactful. And, you know, that first half, I think he had like 15 points. And I don't think he saw a lot of, if any time in the last quarter. So yeah. I think he was able to score another 12 points in the in the third quarter alone. When he was out there, he was dangerous. And um, I know I, I may have ruffled a few feathers when I was putting out some tweets about him, comparing him to Zach Levine. We might chat that, about that a little bit after we sort of recap this game and some of the other performers. But, you know, we I think I might have asked you in, in jest and in passing we, if you were worried a little bit about Karras, you know, getting out the cobwebs and such. And, you know, we said that he sort of t- can take some time uh, sometime to sort of just, you know, get out that rust a little bit. It took him one game, I guess, Nick. Yeah, I mean, I felt like he got to a lot of the spots and took some of the shots he took last game where maybe he was just a little bit off. And obviously the presence of a Drew Holiday on you in comparison to a DeMar DeRozan or a DeJounte Murray is still a little bit different. You know, Drew is still one of the best defenders in the league where Karras was able to use a little bit more of his handles. It looks like he's added a couple moves to his bag. Also, we saw a couple of those mid-range shots that, you know, like you mentioned earlier, maybe you wouldn't see under Kenny where Jacques Vaughn's okay with that, especially knowing the talent on the roster. Yeah, definitely. You know, I think that... When, whenever you know you look at the, the the minutes from Levert, Allen, and TLC, they all had the, exactly the same twenty three and a half minutes. And you know, I guess Jared Allen for me, Nick, another double double from him. I thought his passing was quite good. Had a couple, yeah. of steal, a couple of steals as well. You know, it seems to me. I think you pointed out there that he's looking more confident, more composed. You know, his back-to-the-basket game is looking quite nice as well. Continued that sort of form there. You know, Jared Allen continuing to prove himself that you know he is a starting center in this league. Yeah, I thought a solid game in 23 minutes, getting a double-double, 10 and 11, you know, and you mentioned that one pass, uh, he had the TLC on the cut from like the top of the the key. I was like, okay, Jared, that's something we kind of saw from DeAndre Jordan this season. We haven't really seen much of it from Allen. 
So that's an area he's improved. And you mentioned, like I said, the composure. He just looks, and we talked about this a little bit in the Pelican scrimmage, he just looks more comfortable with the ball out on the perimeter. You know, on those dribble handoffs or whatever it might be, where in the past sometimes he looked to kind of toss that ball away quick or if someone pressured him, he might end up turning over the ball where he looks like maybe he feels like he belongs more. And we've kind of talked about it with Rodion's. When now all of a sudden you're one of the best players in the team, I think you're going to feel a little bit more confident on the floor. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think that if you have, you know, Jared Allen looking for you, I think he's, we've always said that I thought he looked quite good in the short role in terms of kicking out the ball. And when you have Joe Harris out there to kick it out to compared to other guys, you know, it certainly makes uh, uh, the world of impact. And I thought that, you know, his return today, obviously, you know, just a, a real steady performance from him. I thought he did make some mistakes, especially defensively, uh, giving away some fouls and such. But, you know, his presence just elevated the team in a lot of ways, especially on the perimeter. Yeah, I think the spacing instantly helped. Like even for Karras or even Jeremiah Martin or like some of the other guys driving to the lane where it felt like against the Pelicans, everything was just collapsing. We're like, hey, there's at least one guy that has to make sure he's staying out to protect against Joe Harris at that three-point line. And yeah, a little bit of rust, but that's you know expected, especially with the fouls, like you said. But your boy Joe had two blocks today, which is something you don't typically see from him. And he almost caught an oop. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, he, he caught the oop, he just finished with the lap, because you know, yeah, he's yeah, yeah. Got, got to get the legs going, you know, he's been playing a little bit of golf lately, you know, hanging in the swimming pools, you know, if it was Jared Allen, that would have been thrown down with some ferocity, but yeah, you know, 12 points, two rebounds, assists, like you said, a couple of blocks, two or five from three, uh, had a couple of free throws as well, uh, five fouls in only less than 23 minutes of play, as I was sort of alluding to there, you know, he seemed to just not have the game awareness just yet, you know, I'm going to be as objective as possible as I can with my guy. But, you know, I don't think that he was necessarily as good as he was there despite those two blocks. You know, I think he was uh, had a little bit of rust more defensively than offensively. You know, he just makes the team so much better because he is one of the best three-point shooters in the league. And when you have a highly predicated, you know, offensive scheme, uh, when the perimeter is so damn important, uh, maybe not as much anymore under Jacques Vaughn. But, you know, I think the team took some like 44 threes or something. Yeah, 14 or 44 from there. And when you have Joe Harris, you know, it's going to be uh, closer to 35 percent than like 25 percent. Yeah, I mean, that's just one guy you can count on. And the difference between Joe Harris and the next best three-point shooter on our team is pretty substantial, especially when it comes to catch-and-shoot threes. So, obviously, you know, I think even Joe could probably be more aggressive in the next game when he gets a little bit more comfortable, gets a little bit more of that rust off, because obviously we would be more than okay with him taking more shots. Yeah, I think some of his drives as well weren't too bad, you know, off the sort of curls. You know, I think he was quite strong in there. I think that he some of them came up a little bit short, yep. but at the, at the end of the day, he he, norm, he normally makes those. You know, The one on Rudy Gay really stuck out. Like, that's one he always finishes. Yeah, and, you know, he's he's quite good with finishing the op, with the opposite hand and, and with the reverse as well. So, you know, that will come and, you know, a, a still another steady performance from him. But... Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 options every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign-up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use offer code BACKBOARD or DealDash.FM slash BACKBOARD. That's DealDash.FM slash BACKBOARD. 
Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds and prop bets to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, BetOnline sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and Robert Horry. See what they had to say what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Uh, the other two starters, Nick, we'll get to them. Who do you want to kick off with, TLC or Chris Chioza? Uh, let's go with TLC, who's kind of had a rough run in Orlando. Just not being able to hit that three-point shot. I know our guy Matt Brooks put out some stat. Like I think he's 4 of 18 in Orlando in terms of just general shooting, where just he just doesn't have that confidence. And obviously being asked to play out of position, playing the four and getting on the boards a little bit, some of those fouls again, four fouls again in 23 minutes. It's just like TLC hasn't necessarily found that rhythm. He just kind of seems out of sync and not fully locked in yet. Yeah, tonight, 23 and a half minutes, eight points, four rebounds, an assist, a couple of steals, two of 10 from the field, including 0 of 6 from 3. He He's not a starter in the NBA. You know, there's, there's no doubt about that. We've, we advocated to, for Rodion's courts to start, but it seems to me he's the backup five. Maybe that does change with the return of Dante Hall uh, and, and possibly the Utah Jazz final scrimmage. I, I personally would like it because... You want your five best players starting? Maybe you don't. I don't know. Uh, I think that the Nets like to sort of stagger and have talent with that second unit a little bit. But TLC is just not a, a good starter. And you could certainly make an argument that Justin Anderson and Lance Thomas would have just as much of an impact you know, because they're hitting the three ball. They were able to hit it tonight. And, I mean, we, we can't get to those guys, but focusing on TLC, he's just, he's just struggling. You know, there was one nice play that I thought he had tonight where he... I don't know who he who he drived on, whether it was Kelton Johnson or Bryn Forbes or someone. He was quite strong. His handle wasn't amazing, but he was able to keep the ball and uh, nice and close to him and keep it covered. And he finished with a nice drive. You know, his straight line drives are generally quite good, uh, but the three ball is something that he needs to be hitting at least in some form or another, or he's just not adding value to this team. Especially when they're so wide open. You know what I mean? It's in both these games. It's not like we're talking about contested threes or tough shots. Like a lot of them are like, hey, corner threes or right at the top of the wing and they're just hitting you for those wide open looks. And it just really hurts the offense where things run, you know, smoothly and you just end up with a miss, you know, six times. And obviously, like people are going to go in the shooting slumps. It's just tougher when you're not necessarily providing a ton of impact on the rest of the game. Like it's not like he's terrible defensively, but he's not some type of elite player. And we mentioned rebounding, not necessarily great either. You know, he will provide you some nice cutting off ball, but still the impact isn't there if he's not providing it. Like you mentioned, maybe Justin Anderson, maybe Lance Thomas, or even during the regular season, you could probably stagger Rodion's minutes where he's still getting the backup center minutes and still starting. Yeah, good point. Good point. Uh, that final start in the Chris Gio is at 25 and a half minutes. He led the team in minutes uh, yet again. Uh, four points, seven rebounds, seven assists, filling up the stat sheet a little bit. Not necessarily the most effective guy from the field. Did have a steal as well. One of six from the field, 0 4 from three. Did hit a couple of free, free throws. Uh, Chioza is great when he's dishing out and distributing the play, but man, he struggles to hit his own shot. 
Yeah, you know, it's just tough for Chioza. Like, he just kind of screams backup point guard, you know, and obviously the Nets need him to start. The playmaking there is those true point guard abilities. Just offensively being so undersized, even some of the shots that seem open, the guys can close out on him if they're like a 6'7 or something because of just that difference in length. So I think Chioza is going to probably struggle at different points and defensively saw him get attacked in the post a little bit again, similar to the Pelicans games. But you do have to love the passing and kind of initiating things, especially getting those fast breaks cooking. He did have a couple. Yeah. I would actually say he did have a couple passes today where I felt like he forced it, where he just kind of had to stay a little bit more calm. True, and uh, you mentioned the sort of defense. Derek White cooked on him. Yeah, the, 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 the San Antonio guards absolutely cooked on him. You know, a guy he's like five eleven. I think Derek White's somewhere six four, six five. You know, they've got some size. They're quite strong. The San Antonio guards, and they, whenever they saw uh, that matchup of Chris shows, they're like, all right, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna feast on the, on this little fella. Uh, but he was. He, he tries. He's a try. He's a go-getter, and you know you can't fault him for that. But there's uh, probably too many weaknesses uh, right now. But he's probably still going to keep that starting position as long as he's you know getting the ball, you know moving and, and initiating the offense and getting and finding guys in the right places. You know getting the ball to Karras. You know he's still having an impact in some form or another in comparison to TLC, who is having a much more sort of limited impact in that sense. Yeah, and I think running the show and taking some of the pressure off Karras and being that passer that just kind of gets the offense moving and in place and then those fast breaks just kind of kick-starting things is enough to kind of give you a reason to start. What I wouldn't be surprised if maybe someone took his job later down the line, especially if he continues to get attacked defensively. Like we talked about, it's not like anything against him. There's just some physical limitations because there are small guards, like you've mentioned in the past, like Lowry and Van Vliet, but I don't think Chios is as strong as those guys. And that's what really helps them is that they're so physically tough that it's harder to move them where yeah. Chios doesn't necessarily have that size and strength. You can even see on the screen sometimes he gets chipped pretty good and it throws him off. Yeah, and I mean, Tyler Johnson, I think, is a name that sort of springs to mind that could probably maybe start if, if he's going to play like he did today he certainly does deserve it but Tyler Johnson is an NBA player and yeah. has been around the wings and knows how to you know just do all the right things has much more size than him he's Sean a, he's Marks a, threw money at him <laughs> he certainly did he certainly did and he's in the three ball so yeah. I mean what do you value Chris Chios's sort of facilitation role and and distributor role for sort of general playmaking or do you want Tyler Johnson's sort of hybrid sort of ability to create his own shot does he take does his skill set, skill set clash with maybe Carlos Avert a little bit? You know, I don't necessarily mind. Maybe it's just Chris Chioza, uh, Chris Chioza's minutes are lessened because I think it's maybe the second game in a row, if I'm not mistaken, that he's led the team in minutes. Again, uh, it is scrimmages, so it's probably to, to get out the rust. But we get to the backups, Nick. I'll uh, just Jeremiah. say this one note about Chioza. I think also yeah. the reason he's playing so many minutes is Vaughn is trying to get a feel for him if he's the guy that he wants to start or like just how much he should play him. And I feel like that's why Chioza was the only starter that went back in the game and you didn't see Laver or Allen back in there because Chioza's a guy that still has kind of something to prove to Vaughn. True, and that's probably a similar reason for some extended Jeremiah Martin minutes. Uh, six points for him in uh, 22 and a I half like minutes. Uh, I don't mind it. Don't mind it. You know, rebound and assist, had a block as well. Uh, didn't take any threes, three of eight from the field. You know, he's solid and ser serviceable enough in terms of if you say like ranking backup, backup minutes in comparison to like, you know, Theo Pinson of, of yesterday's and maybe even, you know, Musa. You know, he does he does some nice things. He's not necessarily the, the most impactful player, but he's not necessarily a net negative in, in many ways. 
Yeah, I don't like think he's going to make the an NBA roster. I mean, he might fight for a spot last year, next year, and get a training camp invite. But in terms of this situation, I like some of the drives. He has like a nice, quick first step, getting to the lane. Obviously, the lefty throws off a little bit. Uh, obviously, jumper could be a little bit better. And defensively, he really competes. You know, he gets after. He's really fighting through screens. I thought the one block he had was like a, he got beat on the initial drive, and then he kind of caught up and ch- uh, blocked it from behind. So I think some of that ha- hustle from Martin has really been a plus. Like I said, obviously I don't think he's an NBA player, but in this situation I think he's playing pretty well. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see with, with Crawford coming back whether those minutes stay up around the sort of 22 to 24-minute range. But uh, we'll get to one of the vets, uh, Garrett Temple, 24.5 minutes, 10 points, uh, 6 rebounds, 3 assists, had a steal, had a block. Uh, went three of 13 from the field, though. Two of eight from three. Hit a couple of free throws. Uh, he was jacking it up. He, he took yeah. the second most, I think, three field goal attempts outside of Carol Severt. Um, and, it, I mean, he did hit some some nice shots, but uh, it was certainly a less uh, efficient game uh, than the previous performance against the Pelicans. Yeah, he was definitely gunning. There was a couple, like, shots where I was like, damn, Garrett Temple just, like, took a step back three, like, three seconds into the shot clock. Like, what are we doing here? Um, I mean, some of it is also, like, the rest of the NBA talent on the roster. So, I mean, sometimes Garrett Temple might be that best option. Obviously, like, we don't expect a ton from him. You know, obviously a little bit better efficiency. 23% is still pretty bad. If he shot, like, 40 or 35, I think you could live with it but um temple's just kind of that veteran that he's going to be because you still like the six rebounds the three assists giving you that solid defense and just kind of knowing his role in the team yeah everything outside of the the scoring i thought and and the scoring efficiency i I thought it was really good and you know he didn't necessarily have to keep taking all those shots but (laughs) a guy a guy whose game i was really impressed by nick was justin anderson you know 18 and a half minutes a five and five and five game and two steals you know five points five rebounds five assists i didn't actually when I, I wasn't looking at the box score, I only look at and look at it after the game to sort of see what's going on or at halftime. But to fill up the, the stat sheet in that sort of way, it looked like it was certainly the, the prototypical game that you would want from Justin Anderson, where he's providing that energy, he's cutting, he's showing strength, he's showing athleticism. You know, he's getting those boards, he he's getting the ball moving, and you know, he hit a three ball, one of three from uh, from the from the field from the perimeter too. What did you think of his game? Yeah, I think instantly you see Justin Anderson's physicality. You know, shout out to our guy Nolan Jensen because I couldn't stop thinking about Nolan when we were watching this because like, <laughs> he, I saw Justin Anderson pull up from three deep. Uh, Joe Harris hit him with that nice pass on the drive. And then obviously there was one instance where Rudy Gay tried to like drive on him. Obviously Rudy Gay's a bigger than he is, but Justin Anderson just pretty much held him solid. So I, I've, liked, I've liked what I've seen from Anderson. It's kind of what we saw earlier in the season. Not necessarily going to be your big rotation minutes guy, but in this situation he might be one of the better options for the Nets, at least defensively, and just providing some of that physical physicality since they're so undersized yeah absolutely I, I thought that he was effective and I think he's gonna get some minutes out for this team in some form or another if he keeps playing the way that he did uh the other guys who got some minutes out there Nick were Jean Moussa I don't think you actually probably saw him play because it was only the the jump time seven minutes uh he had a, a, a nice couple of drives and I think he had a couple of steals did he have one or two steals he had uh two steals so he had a couple of steals there as well. And Lance Thomas as well, who uh, was 2-4 from the field, uh, was able to get a cut 2-4 from uh, the field, from the free throw line, sorry, and was able to you know do some nice things from there, uh, sort of the vet sort of role uh, for him playing some junk time as well, sort of uh, to ease the load off guys like Anderson and, and Kurtz and, and these sort of guys. But uh, those, anything sort of that you wanted to touch on um, with those guys, I, I think that, I had this question that I put on Twitter. I'm not sure if you saw it, but a couple of people did respond to it. I think they're UK Nets fans, and I'll, I'll find the other person in a sec. But I'll, I'd want to hear your response. Who would you rather see get some backup minutes out of 
We've got two uh, scenarios for you. We've got Jeremiah Martin, Tyler Johnson, and uh, Musa. Or would you write, and then uh, a second scenario, uh, Lance Thomas and Justin Anderson. So uh, pick out a three and then pick out a two for me, Nick. Tyler Johnson for the first group, because like we've talked about in, even in the initial, you know, free agent signing preview is like, Hey, Tyler Johnson has an opportunity to be a player on next year's team where I don't think Jeremiah Martin is close enough yet. Same thing about Musa. I'm not sure, you know, Musa is going to get another NBA contract. He might float around in the G league for a little bit. So I would say Tyler Johnson to see what he can do, see if he can be that guy in the team. And between Lance Thomas and Justin Anderson is a little bit more difficult, but based off of what we're seeing from Jacques Vaughn and the fact that Lance Thomas didn't play into the last five minutes of the game, it seems like the Nets have more confidence in Anderson and his potential moving forward, where Lance Thomas is maybe just his backup veteran on the roster that they need and, uh, you know, play and plug if someone gets hurt or they get in foul trouble. Yeah, similar answers from at SYC22, who was uh, grateful enough to provide us a question on the last pod as well. He said that Jans- Johnson and Anderson is the correct answer here. Uh, UK Nets fans uh, said Johnson and Thomas initially, and then uh, I responded a little bit later to say too late to change that second answer. So <laughs> I think I'm with you, Nick. Uh, I think Tyler Johnson... Uh, Prove today. I mean, if we're basing it off today's form, it's, it's quite easy. But I, I mean, we're trying to project forward and, and weigh up all things. You know, I think Anderson and Thomas can both play as a pinch hit a little bit at the five. I like uh, Anderson's athleticism and pop a little bit more. That upside. Lance Thomas, I think, maybe a, a better three-point three shooter. I'm not 100% sure. I think it's probably, you know, you're picking a little a toss-up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and I think, you know, you know, we've seen what we've seen out of Martin. You know, not a not a huge upside, but steady, steady, steady. And with Musa, you know, you're going to get some erratic nature. We don't necessarily know what he's going to give you. He can he can jack it up. He can show some athleticism. He can drive. Uh, but sometimes that uh, when that erraticism, if that's an actual word, is harnessed, um, he can sort of you know uh, be quite effective. But you know, for me, Tyler Johnson is almost the standout for for me out of those ones. And um, I was. Somewhat high on the signing, Nick, uh, when we discussed it. Um, you know, it feels like years I think the ago buzz now. was a little bit higher on it than like a lot of other Nets yeah. media that we, I mean, like we're typically more optimistic in general, I think, but it just felt like. I just kept thinking about Tyler Johnson while we saw in Miami, and I feel like it's so many situations where you see a player get banged up, get to a different team, and that necessarily not being a great organization. You know, it's not like everything in Phoenix has been so smooth over the last couple of years. So, like, now getting healthy, maybe he can be some type of contributor. Like, we don't expect anything crazy. It's not like we're expecting him to win six-man, but he could be a guy that potentially gets minutes next year, and that's that'd be a nice find for Sean Marks, especially in the situation the Nets are going to be cap-wise. He'd be a guy you could probably sign for a minimum deal. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm all for it if it is uh, for for the minimum because I think he will exceed the value of that contract and probably then some. You know, if you're looking at the the vet minimum or the minimum contract guys we have on the roster now, you know, Will Chandler. You know, I think that Tyler Johns can can certainly be a guy that provides value in, in a similar sort of fashion. You know, on the court. Um, I think that he can play some quality basketball, you know, as a pinch hitter or as, you know, a backup, backup, whatever you sort of want to call it. But, Nick, I guess uh, we'd better address... Nine for him to prove it. You know what I mean? He's got the next scrimmage, eight in the regular season, and whatever happens in the postseason. So, like, if he plays well, he'll definitely have a chance because the Nets are going to need someone in that, you know, that money range. Absolutely, absolutely. But, Nick, I'd be remiss if we didn't discuss these uh, Zach Levine rumors (laughs) uh, because... Uh, Nets Twitter certainly did explode. I've had people up in my mentions a little bit, including our guy, Alex Sturm. Um, I put out a tweet. To be honest, it was somewhat in jest, but it was somewhat like, I kind of believe it as well, saying that uh, Zach Levine, or Carol Savert is better than Zach Levine. 
Um, Nick, I think you're probably going to be on my side or my ingesting side. I know 22 or so other people agreed with me. Uh, a few others didn't. There are certainly things that Zach Levine does do better. Who do you think is a better player right now, I guess, in a vacuum? Well, I feel like Karras at his best has proven he can impact winning basketball. Like we saw him succeed in the the playoffs we saw over this last couple months. But Levine, I think, had a better season. Obviously, he was healthy. And I feel like people are doing this a lot with Karras LeVert. Is like they're taking his numbers out of context. Like, let's not act like the guy didn't have a hand injury that's going to impact your shooting. And you're coming off and you're switching roles. Like, you were on the bench, then your starters. It's all over the place with Kenny. Minute restrictions. Then when he finally got in sync, he started to play well. So, like, over this point of time if you want to say Levine's a better player because he's proven more and he's had he had a really good season this year you know fringe all-star season but I still think I have higher expectations in terms of Karras having an impact on a winning basketball team because of the possibility of two-way ability where like we've never really seen Zach Levine play good defense consistently for a season maybe he's had stints but it just doesn't seem like something he's very interested in so I think like where Karras you know obviously he's not playing defense at the level we want him to but he's showcased in the past that he can be that high level player and he also can just impact the game in a lot of different ways where I feel like Zach Levine is just kind of that like score that puts up a lot of points on a bad team and like until he doesn't until he puts up points on a good team and they make the playoffs and win games it's hard to kind of take that stereotype away from him yeah i I'm, i know that alec would would argue against that and i'll, I'll play devil's advocate for the for the sake of it because the stats do reflect that in terms of win shares and such zach levine does have it over karis avert well, uh, uh, win shares is a cumulative stat so if you play yeah, more yeah. games and you play more minutes you're gonna yeah. have a higher win shares yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree. I, I, in terms of just as impact. Well, I saw uh, Alex. Uh, Alex response. So I mean, I know, yeah. it, and he also mentioned some other stats that were higher too. But also, Zach Levine, I think, averages like thirty-five minutes, and Karis Levert averages like twenty. What was it, twenty-seven or twenty-eight? We just did on the some, previous show. Uh, twenty-nine, I think. Uh, okay. Twenty or twenty-nine minutes. Something, you, something around that range. If you compare their per thirty-six, the numbers are a lot closer. So I okay. think like that's something to kind of keep in mind too. And like I said, like the Bulls are winning games like putting up points on a bad team sometimes can be a little bit misleading like we've seen a lot in the past where guys are having great seasons but it doesn't impact winning and that's kind of been the case with Zach Levine that's always been a thought and I mean I'm not trying to disrespect Zach Levine but in my eyes he's always fit more as like that six-man type that's going to give you instant offense off the bench instead of providing you like that overall team impact yeah that's uh, they're all totally fair points I will say that in terms of Three-point shooting, which the the Nets so do heavily treasure and will certainly be uh, a big point of the Nets' offense next season. Uh, Zach Levine as a catch-and-shoot player on 2.6 field goal attempts a game. Uh, Catch-and-shoot field goal attempts, sorry. 42.6% from there. Karis Avert only 31.9%. That We know that him and Spencer Dinwiddie need to improve markedly from there. And maybe that does happen through natural progression and through having Kyrie, KD, and Joe Harris out there. But Zach Levine is, an, is a really, really good three-point shooter. So to make the argument for him there, you know, I think offensively and in terms of accumulating stats and a perimeter threat, you know, I think that Karis Avert is obviously, like you said, defensively uh, a much more impactful player. But there are a lot of things that Zach Levine does do well. And, you know, maybe the Knicks uh, would be better to to go after him with their new head coach, Tom Thibodeau. Uh, I, I think Corey might have made mention of that on OTG Basketball's Twitter, at OTG Basketball. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Um, the the rumors are there. You know, I, th- I think there obviously is a little bit of smoke to them, but the Nets are after plenty of shooting guards uh, in, that are on the market right now. We know about that, Nick. 
Yeah, and I think like just getting back to it, like I think Zach Levine, if you want to say he's a better player now, and that's fair, where you just have higher expectations for Karras. And I just don't know if like trading Karras Avert for Zach Levine is giving you enough of an upgrade where like you might be better off using those assets somewhere else to get someone who's a little bit more of an ideal fit because of like the skill set match. And I think like you mentioned, Jack, like I don't think the Nets are like seeking a trade for Zach Levine. I think it's like, hey, let's get a feel for the market. Though this guy's possibly available. Let's call the Bulls and kind of do some background information how he can fit. And then also maybe there's a little bit of concern about like how he gets along with the coach. Obviously, Jim Boylan's not a, a player favorite in Chicago, but doesn't seem like they have a great relationship where on the other end of the spectrum, I feels like Karras is like the net sweetheart type of player that everyone loves. Yeah, there's there's certainly plenty of arguments for both sides. I think most Nets fans would would feel a little bit weird, you know, trading a straight up Karras Avert, Zach Levine trade, and, and pieces of some sort. I think it would be it would be ultimately fruitless. I don't think it makes that much more of an impact uh, in in my eyes. I, I think that you're, you're better off sort of staying pat. But Nick, I got a couple more things I'll throw you. One is a trade package from at Brooklyn, that's 85. Uh, but before we do get to that, there was the rumors from Ian Begley, who also reported these rumors earlier, about saying that the Nets have you know room uh, interest or there's a disgruntled young guy that Kyrie and KD have been in contact with. Do you think Zach Levine was that guy? Uh, I don't know. It sounded a lot more like Donovan Mitchell. That's what I thought. I hope it was because I prefer Donovan Mitchell, but yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it was... It could be Zach Levine. Like, don't get me wrong. Maybe it could be him and they have, you know, confidence in what he can do and what he could add to this team. It just seems so interesting adding a player with that skill set combined with those two guys. You know what I mean? And it's not like it's to the highest elite level where it's like close to them. Like, Zach Levine definitely has improved and he's a very good scorer, but it's not like he's Bradley Beal. You know what I mean? So, I and like Mitchell is still like a, a better player and I think he's more like someone would represent him as like more of a star in this league. Cause like I mentioned, like Levine has the numbers, but he hasn't necessarily got like the respect because it hasn't necessarily resulted in winning. So I, I always kind of felt like it was Donovan Mitchell. It could easily be Levine. I could be wrong. I mean, we're just, it's all speculation, right? It is. It is. And I mean, we know Mitchell led a team to the postseason and was the number one guy on a playoff team. Zach Levine has never been that. And, you know, we, we talk about winning and impact and, you know, Mitchell uh, is probably quite easily the best out of the three we just discussed. And Bill yeah. would be even better than that. And, you know, there's plenty of guards on the market. I've made uh, a big push uh, for Chris Dunn of late. I'm going to become a Chris Dunn stand. Uh, I'm big on that, but that's something that we can discuss in, in future pods as well. I'm sure we'll be diving deep into to postseason and free agency and trades plenty. But, this trade package I had for you, Nick, via at Brooklyn Nets 85, and uh, bear with me because uh, there's a lot of pieces here. So the Brooklyn Nets get this. Tomas Sadoransky, Zach Levine, and Aaron Gordon. The Orlando Magic get Spencer Dinwiddie and Toyin Prince. The Chicago Bulls get Ken Birch, Karol Savert, Rodion's Kurutz, a 2021st via the Nets via the Sixers, a 2022nd via the Nets via Denver, another... 2022nd via the Nets via Indiana, and then they get the Magic 2020 second rounder as well. Do you think that that is a, a somewhat realistic trade package that could benefit all parties? I mean, it it definitely could. I don't think it's like my ideal trade package. I'm not sure how high I'm in like Thomas Sandorensky, especially as like a back guard, backup point guard going away from Spencer Dewey.
with Spencer <laughs> Dinwiddie and Torian Prince, that makes me a lot more happy than the other portion because, like I said, with the whole Zach Levine thing, you're like trading a player who's one of your best trade chips, including a first-round pick, to a guy who is, you know, you can make a fair argument he's an upgrade. Like, if you want to say he is, that's fine. But I'm not sure how much the upgrade is worth where you could make a better deal with somebody else that could probably get you a player that's either better or fits better in the scheme because that's what I just don't love. I just can't. I can't say I love Zach Levine playing against, you know, playing with Katie and Kyrie. Yeah, the Nets need defense. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and that's why I'm, I'm making the advocate for, for Chris Dunn. And then some, again, I know he's a restricted free agent, but give me them sign and trade action. Give me Serge Barker on this team and or Aaron Gordon. Uh, I think that that's going to make the, the Nets a bona fide championship contender if they aren't already. But yeah, there's value for all the teams, as we sort of alluded to, Nick. The Nets get Aaron Gordon and Levine. Um, obviously, you're losing Carol Severton in, in that to, to the Bulls. Um, and they get value getting... You know, Levert Birch, who I think is an underrated player, and Kurutz, and the Magic, you know, get Spencer Dimity, who I think has been a, a target of sorts, if not uh, in behind the wings, but it's been made known by guys like John Hollinger and, and guys behind the scenes for quite a bit. So, you know, there's value there for everyone. Obviously, we're diving deep in the trade packages already. Well, do you think even... so? I, I got a question for you. Do you think Spencer yeah, yeah. Dimity is a better player than Zach Levine? Yes. Um, in terms of just impact on winning, you know, he was able to lead the Brooklyn Nets to be uh, a serviceable team and was impacting on winning basketball when the Nets had injuries aplenty uh, the season before. And, you know, I think that he would have been the sixth man of the year uh, had he been playing in that role and had Kyrie Irving sort of stayed. You know, I, I, I believe that the year before as well. I think that in terms of just impact, uh, and I think that that's probably, if you just want to call this episode impact, Nick, you might as well do it. <laughs> Um, I think that the impact uh, Spencer Dimley does make is marginally better than Zach Levine. You know, I think that a, a lot of, it's not to say that Zach Levine can't make an impact. I think a lot of it probably is coaching behind the scenes things. Jim Boylan is a dumpster fire of a coach. And I think that if they get things working there, they have so much goddamn talent with Markin and with Carter. They've got, you know, and Otto Porter, I think, is a nice piece too. If the Nets somehow don't trade for him, maybe, uh, to yeah. complete the, the Sean Marks uh, restricted free agency package. So it, in a vacuum, Zach Levine's a better player. But in terms of, you know, impact and winning and, and, and everything overall, our guys, I think, uh, have proven that they can lead a team. And again, Spencer Dimwitty was a fringe all-star player uh, as well and I think that him and Levine were in that range and you can certainly nitpick uh, but you know all three of those guys you know it, it's all about fit I guess at the end of the day and in terms of fit I think Spencer and Kareth Spencer probably fits best on more teams than the three that we've been alluding yeah, they're both yeah. guys and the other guys yeah so I agree. I think, I mean, like, again, like you said, maybe you can say Levine's more talented, but you could say Spencer's more impactful in winning basketball. That's why, like, you look at that trade and it's like the Nets at the very least are trying, trading two of the top four players in the deal. You know what I mean? And they're getting two of the other top four players, but they're also the one giving up picks. So I'm just like, unless a lot of, like, the extra plus for the Nets is dumping, you know, Torian Prince's contract, then maybe that's, like, a case you make. But I don't know how much it really makes them better in that. So I just feel like if you're going to trade, you know, both your guards – I feel like you should probably be getting back an elite, elite player. Like, you have to, at minimum, get a guy like Drew Holiday back. You know what I mean? Where it's not like he's all-star level player, huge impact on defense, fits really well, or you have to make a move for Bradley Beal. I feel like if the Nets ended up trading those two guys and got back Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon, you don't necessarily feel amazing, especially when you're throwing in sweeteners with the picks and Rodeons. 
yeah, it's uh, it's a fair point. I do like the creativity. I love guys yeah. getting on the trade machine. Um, what's that website again that we're affiliated Tra- with again? Uh, TradeMBA.com. And they've added a lot of great features where you can, you know, modify for next season. You know, they, they update all the picks and stuff, so you don't have to worry about it not being an official trade. Usually their stuff is pretty good, and the stuff they have on there is what actually can happen. And the screenshot that I did see from April on that 85 looked like it was from that, and there's some, some fire... You know, trades from the trade deadline on otdbasketball.com. If you want to come up with some trades, guys, for, for Zach Levine somehow, and you want us to mention him on the show, hit us up at the DMs at J- the J-Man J- or, other players. Up at, or other players, you know, Drew Holiday. Um, we, we love any sort of form of content. We're, we're chatting. We're, we're always, we've always got content here. And there's another a goddamn scrimmage that we're probably going to spend 45 minutes talking about as well. So uh, plenty of stuff to talk about with the Brooklyn Nets. And it is fun to be talking about games and trades and, um, and basketball, Nick. It, it's good fun. Yeah, and Jack, one last question on the next scrimmage. Obviously, we assume we're going to see Dante Hall and Jamal Crawford. It would just make sense, especially for Crawford, who's been practicing now for a little bit. What do you expect in terms of the rotation in that scrimmage? Um, I think that you'll probably see a liberal amount of minutes. I I would assume that there would probably be less minutes for Chioza, for Martin, and and maybe even for Johnson, and increased minutes uh, for, for Crawford, and 15 to 22 or something, just to get him some run. Because if the Nets do want him to play in some form, be it as he's a sort of trademark six man, you've got to get some run into those legs. I think Dante Hall is a little bit younger, a little bit more spry. But then again, Jamal Crawford's out here cooking guys in practice, especially in these shooting challenges. You see that one legger three pointer that he that he yeah. hit Rodion Sports, Nick? That's <laughs> yuck, man. He made Rodion just hate basketball. I feel like it was a, it was a good learning experience for Rodion to like start to understand too. It's like, yo, you can play the best defense in this league, but it really doesn't matter because guys can hit crazy shots, and that's kind of something Jamal Crawford does. I think like I hope the starting lineup changes and TLC ends up on the bench and they replace him, but I feel like Jacques Vaughn's probably going to keep that. So I feel like Jamal Crawford will probably just sub in where Jeremiah Martin was getting minutes and probably get a little bit more than that too. So then it would be Martin Johnson. Uh, Temple, um, let's see, uh, Anderson, and then Rodion's yeah. as like your bench unit. You know what I mean? Which isn't terrible. I think it's a little bit better, especially adding another guy like Crawford who can get you buckets. Yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting to see. And, you know, obviously we've seen plenty out of the other guys. Haven't yet to see anything out of Crawford. Uh, and and uh, and Hall, so it'll be interesting to see. Hopefully, we get to see some extended minutes from them, so we can get a glimpse of what they could provide this team in the seeding games, and hopefully, some form of a playoff run at the same time. Because you know, Crawford's uh, certainly getting some retweets and quote tweets from uh, Kevin Durant. You know, the boardroom and everything else. Uh, Bradley Beal also quote tweeted uh, Kevin Durant as well. So Bradley Beal watches on uh, full speculation. So don't worry about that. Um, I, I forgot to mention that we were doing some weird trade chatter, but yeah, quote tweet from Bradley Beal on Kevin Durant. So. Uh, clearly, he is coming to the Brooklyn Nets um, if we see at least one or two more quote tweets slash retweets from him. But anything else you wanted to touch on, Nick? Um, we've uh, we've dived deep into to plenty of stuff. Yeah, I just one final note would just be like, I'm intrigued to see how the Nets perform in the next scrimmage, where obviously there's a big ta- talent differential between you know the Pelicans and the Spurs. And now they're going back to facing at least a good playoff team in terms of the Jazz. Are they going to be able to play competitive basketball? Maybe not win the game, but at least keep it without a blowout range. Yeah, I mean, we get to see future Brooklyn Net Donovan Mitchell as well, and or future <laughs> Brooklyn Net Rudy Gobert. It seems like every player, every team that we verse is, uh, you know, I think DeMar DeRozan has been linked to the Brooklyn Nets as well. So uh, let's get them all. We're, we're versing. We can analyze those guys if you want as well, um, listeners. Uh, hit us up for that at the JMNJBT at OTG and Nick. But uh, we're focusing on our Brooklyn Nets for, for now, and we always will.
Yeah, 100%. Always a pleasure, Jack. Big thanks to everybody listening. You can catch us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, OTGBasketball.com, Nestlebug.com, and Blue Wire Pods. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.